Hi, I'm Jim Brett, President and CEO of the New England Council. Welcome to this month's episode of Inside the Corner Office, where we catch up with the leaders of top New England business and organizations to learn more about their career paths and the incredible organizations they lead. This month, I was delighted to be joined by Dr. Eva Morse, Head of Global Strategic Accounts and Services at Millipore Sigma, the global life science company headquarters here in Burlington, Massachusetts. We had a fascinating conversation about her own unique background and career path. Eva also discussed the company's efforts to bolster supply chain resilience and to foster diversity and inclusion in the workplace. We also talked about why New England is such a hub for innovation in the life sciences industry and about lessons learned in recent years about the pandemic preparedness. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. It's great to see you. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, glad to be here. You know, one of the reasons we started the, the series is to learn more, not just about the businesses here in New England, but about the incredible people who lead them. So let's start by letting our audience get to know, get to know you a little better. So tell us about yourself and your background and how your personal journey brought you where you are today. Well, Jim, I consider myself a New Englander now, but as I've lived in the U.S., always in Massachusetts for nearly 30 years. But as you can tell from my accent, I wasn't born here. Yeah. I grew up in a small country in Central Europe um, that is now called the Czech Republic. And in the early 90s, I chose uh, genetic engineering as my specialty when I was in grad school. And the skill set eventually brought me here to Boston as a trainee at Tufts School of Medicine. And after a few years of working at the bench at St. Elizabeth Hospital, I went to the head of my department and I asked him for recommendation to um, uh, a PhD program. And he looked at me and he said, look, uh, I think you will become a successful scientist, but have you considered a career in business? I was shocked, business, what is that? I'm a scientist. And he said, you know, Eva, during the three years you've been here, you've consolidated all our suppliers, you've reorganized the labs, you've changed the workflows, and I think you have a knack for business. And I thought about it because I'm from a family of scientists. Mm -hmm. So this was a very difficult decision. And Eventually, I tore up all my applications to PhD programs, and I ended up at Northeastern University getting my MBA. And that's how I started my transition from purely scientific roles into positions with business responsibility until my current role as a global commercial leader. So you sort of answered it already. What made you pursue a career in sciences? You said your family are all in that field. Obviously they had a lot to do with it. Yeah, they, they had a lot to do with it. That's, you know, that's what I grew up with. That's the mm -hmm. only thing I knew, but 
you know, I also have this inherent need in me to just save everything and everyone. And as a teen, I always dreamt about saving endangered species and, you know, curing the world of all disease and all the big dreams. And even though my path didn't turn out quite like that, the passion I have for the field and for making a difference has truly been a guiding light for me. And also remained the somewhat a quirky part of me where I'm known to take an abused dog and put it on a plane and bring it home from a business trip with me just because it needed saving. But also at a very practical level, I'm a woman and a solid life science background gives you the foundation to diversify your career without taking a setback. And that was always important to me as a working mom with three children. You indicated you got your master's degree at Northeastern University, but, but what made you decide that New England should be your home? Why New England? Um, Why not the Midwest? Why not California? Why not uh, Atlanta? Because, you know, once you get a taste of New England, yeah. you just can't leave. There's no reason to leave. I, I could never come up with one good reason why I should be leaving New England. You have absolutely everything here. If you are in life science, New England is the hub. It's actually not the hub. It's it's the ecosystem. It's a full life science ecosystem. And whether you come here for education, like I did, or a job, I'm not the only one. Many people come and then just stay and just stay forever. I agree with everything you just said. Uh, let's talk a little more about Millipore Sigma and about your role there. Uh, Millipore Sigma is a business of Merck a multinational corporation headquarters in Germany. Can you tell us a little more about what Millipore Sigma does and more importantly, what your role there is? Yes, absolutely. Um, you may have heard of us, um, but what you may not know is that Merck KGA Darmstadt Germany, which we are a part of, is the oldest chemical and pharmaceutical company in the world with more than 355 years of history. While our history in Massachusetts is a bit younger, our Massachusetts roots track back to 2010 and the acquisition of the Millipore Filtration Company. So what do we do? In the US, we have three business sectors. Our life science business is known as Millipore Sigma, and we are the global supplier of chemicals, equipment and CTDMO services to the pharma and biopharma industries, academia, and a variety of uh, industrial sectors. Our healthcare business operates under the name EMD Serono, and here we develop and sell fertility drugs and pharmaceuticals for um, difficult to treat diseases such as MS and cancer. And EMD Electronics, which is our third sector, provides semiconductor and display solutions for screens, as well as pigments um, for things like cosmetics. As my day job, I lead the global strategic accounts and services 
for our process solutions business unit within Melipore Sigma, which means that my team works with our largest biotech and pharma clients to provide products and support needed in drug manufacturing. Yes, we um, certainly are. Our products are used in, I would say a majority of the life-saving and life-enhancing therapies um, that people, people use. Um, we've also played a critical role in uh, COVID-19 pandemic response. Um, I just read recently that you have so many titles, but part of your title is U.S. country speaker. What does that role entail? That's right. So as a country speaker, I um, represent the interests of the more than 16,000 people we have in our three sectors and 73 sites in 22 different states across the US. And I also chair our United States Country Council, which includes leaders um, from these sectors, as well as leaders from functions like HR, equality, and legal. And we have three main goals. One is to become the employer of choice for our current and future employees. Our two goal is to become a business partner of choice for all our external stakeholders. And the third goal is to provide guidance uh, through risk and crisis management. So yes, we were quite busy during the COVID-19 pandemic. Speaking of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, it's caused many uh, companies to focus on supply chain resilience so they can better meet the needs of customers in the regions where they're located. How has Millipore Sigma's supply chain strategy changed in the aftermath of the pandemic? And what investments is the company making in the United States as part of this strategy? So no doubt the COVID-19 pandemic has put supply chain resilience and pandemic preparedness at the forefront for everyone involved in ensuring global access to medicines and diagnostics. And to achieve this, we have and continue to expand our manufacturing capacity. Some of which has been funded with US government support. In um, late 21, uh, we were awarded a uh, almost 140 million contract by the US Department of Defense to build a lateral flow membrane production facility in Sheboygan. We have also invested our own company resources in a, a number of locations, including Indianapolis and St. Louis, Madison, specifically to boost our lipid production capabilities in support of the mRNA technologies antibody drug conjugate capabilities and high potency active pharmaceutical ingredients to advance cancer therapies. We've also invested here in New England in a single use um, and filter production in our Danvers, Massachusetts and Jaffrey, New Hampshire sites. And the products made at these sites support the development of um, a, a variety of, of life-saving and, and life-enhancing therapies. Um, most recently, we announced 
expansion in our labs in Lenexa, Kansas, to manufacture cell culture media, which is a key ingredient used in drug manufacturing. And with this investment, our Lenexa facility will become our company's largest dry powder cell media facility and the center of excellence. Um, so investing in the U.S. truly reflects our strategy to expand and diversify supply chain to ensure we meet all current and future demand, whatever the future holds. You know, we're very proud that New England has truly become a, a global hub for the life sciences uh, sector with more and more companies choosing to locate here. What is it about this area you think uh, makes it so attractive to the industry? Is it the higher ed? Is it the healthcare facilities? Is it the research facilities? But what makes this the hub? Well, you know, as I said, if you are in the life science field, New England has it all. It's a international hub for science, technology, medicine, actually not a hub it's a true ecosystem fully functioning ecosystem it's a great location for global access and transportation which is critical for supplier like us and finally new england and massachusetts is home to some of the best universities and teaching hospitals in the world which gives employers access to highly qualified talent I'd say it's a it's a mutual relationship, just as New England remains committed to fostering innovation in science and technology. We, as a leading global science and technology company, remain committed to investing in our operations in the regions for many years to come. You know, one of the passions that we both share is advocating for people with disabilities. But what I was interested in what motivated you to be so outspoken on this issue? And what are some of the initiatives that your company that are helping foster diversity, equity, and inclusion? Look, as many other people who are passionate about this topic, I too have some deeply personal reasons. Um, we discovered that our youngest child had special needs a few weeks after she was born. And it was a uh, super tough ride for the first couple of years of her life. And once you go through something like that firsthand and you experience the limitations and the challenges and the stigma, and frankly, sometimes the ignorance, um, you just have to get involved and try to advocate for others. And I am absolutely thrilled to work for a company that truly believes that a diverse workforce together with equitable and inclusive corporate culture is fundamental to our success. We we want to mirror the diversity of our customers and our local communities. And we truly, truly empower our employees to bring their whole and authentic selves to work. And it is so refreshing. We have several employee resource groups 
to promote the voices of underrepresented populations. And this includes employee resource group called AMABLE, dedicated to breaking stigmas and promoting equality for employees with disabilities by sharing resources and giving support and, and facilitating learnings. And I am so proud to share that Disability Equality Index, which is known as the most comprehensive benchmarking tool for measuring disability workplace inclusion, named our company as a best place to work for disability inclusion after we achieved a 100% score on the index. Congratulations. And you are a leader and hopefully others will follow you. But to receive that special recognition and have a 100% rating, that's nothing better. But uh, well done in behalf of the disabled community. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And, uh, you know, you're helping to change that image of people with disabilities that they're maybe unable to work. They are given the opportunity and you're a leader in the company there. So kudos, and congratulations. As you look to the future, what are some of the changes on the horizon in the uh, life sciences that uh, excite you? So our company CEO, Belen Garijo, recently spoke about bioconvergence. And this is something that we all are very excited about. Um, for those not familiar, bioconvergence is a multidisciplinary method in life science that uses the techniques and methods from biology and chemistry and engineering, computational sciences, and even AI to address many of the unresolved challenges that traditional approaches fail to crack, such as developing faster diagnostics or tackling translational medicines or implementing digital twins for, for clinical trials. And this is something that because of our three sectors, we are uniquely positioned to play in and are super excited about. So that's on the positive. On the negative, um, we have many global challenges associated with health and security and sustainability that surely will test our company and our industry in the coming years. And while it won't be an easy task, I am optimistic that the life science industry is set up to tackle these challenges head on, innovate, and provide solutions that will move society forward. You know, we always like to wrap up these conversations talking a bit about federal policy, which is, of course, the New England Council's main focus as an organization. So how do you think governments, whether it's at the state, the federal level, can work with industry to continue to do what you're doing, foster innovation here in the United States? All right. So, look, one of the core principles that I learned in a leadership course here, actually, at MIT, is that crisis brings innovation. Crisis brings innovation. And the COVID pandemic certainly showed us in more than one way how true this is. 
It forced the government and the industry to work collectively to ensure that COVID vaccines were developed and distributed with a record speed and at unprecedented scale. So we did it. But I do think that there's a lot more that we can do together to drive innovation. And it probably should not take another global pandemic to drive action. There are a number of different components in the government space that help foster innovation. Economic development incentives, tax policy, environmental policy, and they're often discussed by different agencies and elements of government, but we want to ensure that there is a more holistic approach towards fostering innovation. Here in Massachusetts, the Massachusetts Life Sciences Center does an excellent job of thinking about how to continue to support the life sciences industry here in the state. I am not sure that we have that model at the federal level. So that was my follow-up question. Do you think the US government is prepared for a future pandemic? As you probably know, Milli Four Sigma was a key supplier during the yeah. pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I was on the front lines working with the Operation Warp Speed and both administrations as they managed the crisis. And it was a completely new territory for everyone involved. And we never had this type of industry government interaction. So there was absolutely no playbook to follow. I recall one of the first intro meetings with the Operation Warp Speed team when we shared our experience and expertise during the intros. And I realized that my counterparts were seasoned military officials with combat expertise, but no biotech background at all. And I thought, well, this will be interesting. How is this going to work? And we had to figure it out. We had to figure out how to work together. And we did it. The point is we we did figure it out. And I think we actually learned a lot from one another. But then the pandemic ended. So as I look to the next pandemic or whatever the next crisis may be, I think that it will be important to ensure that we retain at institutional level all the learnings as most of the individuals invo involved during COVID are already moved on or they've already moved on. Mm -hmm. And we need to ensure that our government and industry do not lose all the learnings as time goes on. To be prepared, we need to build on the learnings and continue to align on how to respond to the next pandemic even better. So I do think that we are a lot more prepared than we were before COVID. But I also believe that we should not forget about future planning. Well, I just want to thank you. Thank you for joining me today. And more importantly, thank you for the important work that Millipore Sigma is doing each and every day to support and drive innovation here in the New England region. And to all of you uh, tuning in today, I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I hope you learned an awful lot about Millipore Sigma. Uh, I've already been uh, out to the facility, 
And I know the extraordinary work that they do and the dedicated staff and the extraordinary uh, commitment they have in trying to address uh, these dreaded diseases and trying to pro prolong the lives of so many people that we're so blessed to have Millipore Sigma part of, of the New England Council in here in New England. So to be sure to tune in next month for a very special edition of Inside the Connor Office in recognition of National Disability Employment Awareness Month. And we'll have two guests joining us to talk about the importance of providing employment opportunities to people with disabilities. Jim Cassetter of Work Inc. and Joanne Simons of Northeast Art. Thank you and have a great day.